Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, July 17, 2022. It focuses on praying for the lost. The message to all who will listen is believers can pray in specific ways which will, as God works, lead friends and family and neighbors to salvation. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's go to God's Word and hear what He has to say to us today, trusting that He's going to do His work, because I can't do this, it's, it's Him. The only thing that matters is what He does. He works through us, so it's worthless, so I'm trusting that this is going to be worth something today, because it's His Word and He's going to accomplish His purposes. Let's pray together. God, thank You that You are here and that You want us to know you and want us to hear your word and want us to have the power to live out what you've given us to live out. And so we come to you and ask that you would do your work in us. And then that as we go, that you'll do your work through us to be a blessing to our community. God, we pray that you would bring salvation to the people of Pratt County and the city of Pratt and all the surrounding community through your church. And God, help us to be a part of that. Help us to be a part of what you're doing and, and to see people come to know Christ. We're so grateful that you're here with us. And I pray, God, that we would be open to hear what you have to say and to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks back, on the last day of cross-country team camp, the team that I coach met at Green Rec Trails for a workout in the woods. Before sending the kids out, I tried to explain to them how to orient themselves so that they could find their way back out if they got separated from the team and found themselves stranded and alone. I give this speech every year before we take to the trails because almost always we lose someone and have to form a search party to go people hunting. Now, brief aside, of all the parties in the world, birthday parties, bachelor parties, retirement parties, office parties, ice cream in my backyard at seven o'clock tonight to bring your lawn chair parties, of all the parties in the world, the least party-like is the search party. Isn't it? All right, back to the green wreck trails. We started out playing a game that I thought would reduce the chances of losing runners among the winding paths. Two groups set off together. They were supposed to stay together as they chased each other through the woods. But slower runners sometimes quietly drop off the back. And so when we regrouped after about 15 minutes of running, we were missing a couple of middle schoolers. Search party, woohoo! yeah. So I sent the whole team out onto the trails in groups of two, hoping that together they could find their way back. And you know what happened, don't you? We found the original lost person and lost another. <laughs> so that's how that works. Uh, as I drove down the long lane after the workout was over, I thought to myself, maybe next year. We won't lose anyone. 
Not a chance. We'll be yelling someone's name as we wander through the woods, turning this way and that, stepping over tree roots, dodging spider webs and all that kind of stuff. It's tradition. We just have to keep the tradition up, I guess. Anyway, these annual search parties are, I'll admit, not really that big a deal. We always have found the stray runners before having to report them to their parents or the police as missing. <laughs> We've never had a news crew come to Pratt to do the story on the, the fruitless hunt for a presumed dead member of the local sports team. We've never had that happen. I don't plan on it. The only cost of these mishaps has been a few minutes of fairly relaxed puzzling over where in the world a kid might be, followed by a team reunion picnic tables beside the pond and everyone leaving with their parents or in their own vehicles. I was once part of a search party which felt considerably more serious. A few years back, as several members of my family were leaving the summit of, I think it was Mount Massive, a mildly frantic dad approached our climbing party. His son was missing. Now, I'm picturing a 12-year-old who was not paying attention wandering off a cliff, but that's not the case. We looked around with the dad for a while, yelling the name that we'd been given, and then regrouped and decided that we should descend the mountain together. And of course, about halfway down, the 30-ish year old young man who was missing was waiting for his dad, wondering where his dad had been. Happiness all around. That's the way search parties should be. Search parties are, if you think about it, when successful, kind of party-like if they end well. And we're grateful for that. So, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of, we'll call them search party stories, all of them fairly well known. He tells these parables of lost things and the hunt for them to make a point and to drive it home as he's talking with a few religious guys who are disappointed in his choice of companions. So we're going to read the lead up to the first search party tale and the story itself. I'm reading Luke chapter 15 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 if you'd like to follow along. Here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners, we could read riffraff there, or the people that people in town didn't really like, or however you want, these are the outcasts. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the moral upstanding citizens. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know why that accent came out, but there we go. <laughs> then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I love that Jesus gives us a peek at what happens in heaven when somebody comes to Christ, when somebody repents or turns away from their sin. The place is party central, isn't it? There's a bigger to-do over a straying woman who turns to God than over locating a wandering sheep in a culture that values sheep far more than you and I do. 
That was their livelihood. This is valuable. They're going to go after it. I always picture when I read this passage and other passages like it, I always picture angels whooping it up, high-fiving each other. I don't know if they high-five in heaven, but you know, you never know. I picture them shouting praises to God, and God, he's, he's excited about what's going on too. Probably not a perfectly accurate vision of what takes place, but it brings a smile to my face every time I think about that party scene in heaven. The Father loves it, the Son loves it, the Spirit loves it, the angels love it when sinners repent. When one person turns to Jesus for salvation, there is a celebration around God's throne. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You're not going to sing with me? Okay. Well, let me state the obvious. What we celebrate tells others what we value most. Birthday parties, for example, say we're glad this person whom we love is alive and that they're part of our life. Retirement parties say that it's been great working with this valuable co-worker. Heaven's parties say that the lost and strained folks who come home, they're the best. I'm going to guess most of you know a lost man or a strained woman. Anybody? You know at least one or two, and if you don't, you better get out a little bit more. Because <laughs> our calling is to be among people who don't know Christ. You have friends and family members who are not Jesus followers, don't you? Wouldn't it be great if they came to Christ? Wouldn't you whoop it up with the angels if they turned to Christ and received eternal life? Could anything be better in their life or in yours? No. The healing of a loved one's deadly disease is amazing, and we'll celebrate that, but it's not everlasting. The acceptance of your grandkid's application to his first choice of colleges is awesome, but that joy isn't forever. The receiving of a job promotion by a friendly neighbor, you can celebrate that with them, and it's wonderful, but it's not eternal. Forever and ever and ever life with God is the bestest of bestest things. Imagine your favorite person who is not currently a follower of Jesus. Imagine them turning to Jesus for salvation. Most of you know John 3.16 by heart. Think about the lost person you love as I read it again. Picture their face and insert their name into this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The whoever in that sentence, the world in that sentence, includes the person that you pray for regularly. If that person believes, that person will not perish. If that person believes, that person will have eternal life. Going back to Luke 15, if that person repents, that person's repentance will cause a huge party in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There you go. All right. We won't do that because I didn't sing that nearly high enough. All right. The question I have for you this morning for all of us together is this. How can we as a church be party to the eternal rescue of more strained folks, more lost sheep? 
When I began thinking on this question this week, I sensed a need to talk about what specifically we ought to pray for those who don't know Jesus. I thought also we might talk about how we can pray concerning our attitudes and actions toward people who don't know him and who act like people who don't know him. I hope what I say this morning will encourage prayers for your friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors and enemies, what people you mistakenly call enemies. I hope God's words will show you how you can live a more heavenly party-producing life. If you would, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're going to read the first few verses of chapter 4 because in the words Paul pens, there is a suggestion for how we can pray for those who do not know Christ. And it's not a specific command here to pray in a certain way. It's just something that I've noticed as I've read this, and it has prompted prayer in my heart, and I hope it will in yours as well. So when we hear the truth about the condition of the minds of those who are unbelievers, I think we're going to have greater compassion for them and we're going to know how to pray. So if you're ready, I'm going to read now 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Let's take a look at what Paul says. You ready at verse 1? Therefore, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. In the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light and the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So did you catch what Paul said about the minds of unbelievers? They're blinded. The God of this age, and that's likely a reference to the spiritual forces of evil, has made it impossible for the minds of unbelievers to see and get the gospel. Let me ask you a simple question. Can you make a spiritually blind person see? By your words, by your actions, you can't make them see, can you? You can talk till you're blue in the face and nothing's going to change. But do you know someone who can cause a God of this age blinded person to see? You do. You and I as believers in Jesus know the only one who can remedy the situation. Jesus can open the minds of unbelievers so that they can see the light of the gospel. If he can do this thing, why would we not ask him to do it? Since God has revealed the truth to us about those who have yet to trust in Jesus for salvation, should we not pray according to what we know? God, my strained friend, cannot see the goodness of your son or grasp what you've done to make salvation available to him. Please open his eyes so that he can see and believe. That's where we should start. How will the blind ever see the truth in what we say or what the Bible says if God does not intervene and give them spiritual insight? Give them sight in their minds. Help them to understand. 
Do you know people for whom you can pray this way? Write their name down on your bulletin, if you got a bulletin, right? Just write yourself a note of somebody that God brings to mind. Will you pray for that person? Let's flip over to Matthew 13 now. We're going to talk about a little bit more of guidance for prayer here in Matthew 13. Jesus is telling parables again, and he's telling a parable on a farmer who plants seed in the most haphazard of ways, according to us. We like to drive tractors with nice straight rows and put them all in the ground. This is not what's going on here. This farmer flings seed all over the place, and it falls on various types of soil. Some of it prepared, some of it not. So the story begins in verse 3 and runs through verse 8, but we're going to read through verse 9 to hear Jesus' command after he's finished up the story. The story is simple, and it gives us direction for praying for those we know and love who are far from God. You ready to hear it? Matthew 13, 3-9 says this, Then he, that is Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears... Let them hear. Real quick, what's this story about? It's about spreading the good news, isn't it? About putting the word out there. It's about giving out God's word no matter how it's received. It's not up to us. The results aren't what matters to you and me. That's up to God. The sharing is all we need to be concerned about. More on that later. First, though, I want to read Jesus' interpretation of this story. This is one of those parables where he put the story out and then later with his disciples explained it. We're glad for that because it helps us to understand it better. So he says a few things which I think can guide us in praying for the lost folks that we know as part of God's search party. Skip down to verse 18. That's where we're going to pick up now. We're still in Matthew 13. We're reading verses 18 to 23, and Jesus tells the twelve what his intended message was when he told this particular parable. Follow along. Starting verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. What I want you to note, it, note is what Jesus says are the causes of non-growth of much of the seed. In verse 19, he says the seed doesn't grow because the devil snatches the word away. In verses 20 and 21, he talks about how the seed doesn't put down deep roots because of persecution and trouble and people fall away because of those things. 
Verse 22, the seed is rendered impotent by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I look at these things and see ways that I can pray for my friends who don't know Jesus, and you can pray for them as well. If the devil snatches God's word away from people, I can pray that he's not able to steal it from my friend. If persecution and trouble can cause people to run away from Christ and not let his word take root in their heart, then I can ask God to soften their hearts so that the roots can go deeper and that they would have the courage to endure whatever comes their way. If worries and wealth hinder growth, I can pray that my loved one won't be distracted by these things, but they'll hear the word and it'll take root. You have to pray each and every item here, maybe not every single time, but it couldn't hurt to regularly pray about these things, which might keep your friend from believing or going deep with God. And hey, you can pray that for each and every one of your believing friends too, because don't we sometimes get distracted by stuff? Especially the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Sometimes we get caught up in all sorts of goofiness and chase after stuff that doesn't matter and miss out on what God wants for us as well. God, help my strained friend. Protect her from the seed-stealing enemy of her soul. Remove the things from her life which keep her from believing or becoming fruitful. Amen? I think we need to pray these things for ourselves but we also need to pray them for our lost and dying friends. How often is your relationship with God made shallow by these things? And we know that they can keep others from believing as well. All right, moving on. The next prayer focus I want to talk about is one Jesus gave his disciples. This one's very direct, not implied. It's You'll hear in just a second how directly Jesus says to pray. And we're going to turn back a few pages to uh, Matthew chapter 9. Obviously, if we're talking chronological order, this is before the, before the sowing farmer story. But I'm putting it here, the message, because I think that the earlier prayers we talked about prepare the heart in the lives of those we want to pray for so that the word can be heard when the word goes out and so that there can be a harvest. So that's why we're, we're doing it in this order. We're going to listen now to what God's Word says. We're in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And you're going to hear the circumstances that, that Jesus is in and how he encourages his disciples to pray. Starting verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What does Jesus, as he's encountering harassed and helpless people, tell his disciples to pray? Send workers. In the previous passage, we talked about the sowing of the seed, the word going out, sharing the good news. In this one, we're talking about the harvest work. We're talking about seeing people come to believe in Jesus because the way has been cleared for them to do so. God, my strained friend, and the strained friends of other believers are close to believing. Send faithful witnesses to them so that they can hear the good news again, and perhaps today will be the day that they put their faith in Jesus for salvation. You pray that way and then willingly go into the world knowing 
God may have words for you to say and things are going to be different. God's going to give you work in his harvest, isn't he? In fact, if you look at Matthew 10, the very next chapter, that chapter reports on the sending out of the 12 to do just what they prayed God would do. To be those that were sent. They prayed and they were sent. Alright, we've got a couple more passages, short ones. Let's take a look at John chapter 16. And we're going to read verses 8 through 11 first. Jesus' words, as reported by John, give us another prayer aim. So let's listen as I read. John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11 say, When he comes, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You cannot convince your friends and family members that they're wrong. You don't have to keep saying all those things on Facebook. They're not going to be convinced. It's not your job to convince people that they're wrong. Your job is to hand them over the Holy Spirit to do his work. He is the he who comes and does the work of proving the world wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. God, my strained friend, is not convinced that she's sinning against you. She doesn't believe she needs your righteousness or needs a savior of any kind or that judgment is coming, so convince her of these things by your spirit. That's the kind of prayer we pray. Our final passage is another short one. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. These verses give us general guidance for speaking with people in the world who don't know Jesus and at least one specific way that we can pray for those to whom God sends us. Let's read that passage, 2 Timothy 2, verses 25 and 26. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. How do we deal with those who disagree with us? Gently. This is true even when you feel strongly on an issue. You don't get to be harsh when discussing the current debate over abortion or any other moral issue which you think people are getting wrong. Gentle instruction. And for what do we pray? We pray for repentance. We pray that they would come to a knowledge of the truth, that they would come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Do you think of people in that way? You need to remind yourself every day that people are taken captive by the devil and we need to pray that they would be set free from those traps. God, my strained friend hasn't come to repentance yet and I pray that, that I can gently lead them toward you. God, I pray that you would give them the knowledge of the truth so that they can come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's wrecking havoc in their lives. Pray that they would be given repentance so that they can be free. You want people to know Jesus. You wrote at least one person's name down, didn't you? Maybe you need to write a couple more. I don't know. If you want people to know Jesus, you can pray for them. 
We can pray that the devil's blinders would be removed. We can pray that God's word would take root in them and that they would produce fruit in their lives and that God would produce fruit through you. We can pray that workers would be sent out into the harvest field and that people would come to Christ. And you can pray that your friends would be convinced of their need of a Savior and convinced of their wrongness. You don't have to do that. That's God's thing. And then you can pray that they would repent and turn away from their sin and be freed from the devil's traps so they can come to Christ. You ready to put into practice what you just learned? We're going to end our time together as we often do almost every Sunday with a bit of quiet waiting on God. Today, rather than focusing on yourself, your prayers are going to be focused outward. During this time, I want you to pray the things that we've talked about this morning. I'm going to leave this slide up here so you can peek and look at it and be reminded just for one person. You can pray for more if you have time, but just let's pray over one person. Then I want to challenge you that when you leave this place, as you continue to pray for that person, to find one thing this week, one kind thing that you can do this week for that friend as you're praying for them. Isn't this what we're here for? We're not here just to hear a message and sing a few songs and go home and do nothing. We're here for the kingdom of God and for its advancement. So I encourage you to pray for that friend today. And then I encourage you to go and do one kind thing for them this week. To express God's love to them in a practical way. So, let's pray together. you've heard the prayers of your people and we know that you want people to come to repentance and to be saved so we trust that you're going to answer now God give us the courage to go and to do something kind to that person that you've called us to pray for God I pray that we'll see the fruit of those prayers that we'll see the answers that people will come to Christ and then we'll know that you've done your work. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.